this thing on? Hey, look, we're on video. Real Pod Wednesdays here on YouTube for the first time. Uh, many of you have probably listened to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just going to 11warriors.com, wherever you listen to us. But now you get to look at us, too, if, if, if for some reason you want to look at our ugly faces while we talk. Uh, we are now on YouTube. Uh, we will continue to be on YouTube every week uh, for Real Pod Wednesdays. So uh, looking forward to uh, reaching out to new audiences here and giving you all the opportunity to watch this on video. If this is your first time listening to Real Pod Wednesdays, welcome. We're glad to have you here. I'm Dan Hope. I He's Andy Anders. That's right. In the flesh, double A and Don Hope. That's the that's the tandem. Now now getting to see, you know, our uh, our wonderful viziers here, our our, our faces, uh, as Dan pointed out. Uh hopefully I don't scare too many of the children away uh with, with my uh with my grim appearance here, but uh you know, I, I'm excited to, to be on video for the first time and uh hope hopefully, you know, it, it, it doesn't have too many hiccups in the broadcast here, Dan, as we, as we introduce ourselves to this new format. If you are a regular watcher of our YouTube videos, you've probably seen us on press coverage before from the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. But if you haven't listened to Real Pod Wednesdays before, this is our weekly podcast at 11 Warriors. We're still going to be available on all the other channels that we usually are. So if you're listening to us on what, whatever you usually listen to us, that's not changing. Uh, so we're glad that you're still listening to us that way. But uh, looking forward to, you know, those people who would prefer to watch in video form joining us over on YouTube. And uh, if you're not familiar with the show, this is where we talk about all the biggest things happening in Ohio State sports every week. And plenty to talk about here this week as we approach the end of January. We're going to start by talking about Ohio State's rival because some big news happening uh, this past week in Ann Arbor, as Jim Harbaugh left Michigan to become the head coach of the NFL's Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, we're going to also talk later in the show about Ohio State's new transfers. We had the opportunity to talk to the five non-freshman transfer additions for Ohio State on Tuesday. Will Howard, Caleb Downs, Quinshawn Judkins, Seth McLaughlin, and Will Kastmarek. Uh, it was very interesting talking to them, so we will share some of our takeaways from our conversations with all five of them later in the show. And then we will also talk about Ohio State men's basketball because it has been a rough January for those Buckeyes, to say the least. And certainly, I think the unrest among Ohio State fans, probably including many of you listening out there, is building as Ohio State uh, looks at the possibility of missing the NCAA tournament for the second year in a row. Yeah, I mean, the, the product over the last week and change, especially, but, you know, all of January, obviously, as you said, has really been, you know, not up to the standard of Ohio State, even at a school where, you know, obviously football is king. But, you know, you still have a certain expectation when you have the resources Ohio State does when basketball is your second biggest revenue generator to play up to a certain standard of play. And certainly um, these here in the recent weeks, especially, you know, with the Nebraska result, with the Northwestern result and how big of that that blowout was and, uh, you know, losing three games in a row twice in one month. It's it's not good, uh, especially coming off a year where you lost 14 of 15 during one stretch. So um, 
plenty of thoughts on that situation that we'll get to later in the show. Um, I, I'd say, you know, especially the fan base right now, it seems to be the outcry for, for Chris Holtman. Um, all you got to do is dive into the comment sections of one of my stories, and, and you'll see at, at least 20, 30, 40 uh, fire Chris Holtman uh, type of type of comments on there. Um, still a chance for them to turn it around, but uh, it, it's, it's certainly a grim time for Ohio State basketball, and we'll have plenty to discuss on that topic when we arrive there. Yeah, let's start by talking about something a little bit more positive for Ohio State, which is a fact that, you know, we, we were on the show three weeks ago and we talked about how grim a time it was in Columbus because Michigan had just won the national championship and Ohio State had to watch its hated rival be on top of a world. And then ever since then, it feels like Ohio State has had all the momentum. I mean, even, I mean, literally, Seconds after Michigan won the national championship, they already started to take a little bit of it back as Quinshawn Judkins committed to Ohio State. And uh, that momentum has continued over the past few weeks as Caleb Downs committed to Ohio State, Julian Sayan committed to Ohio State. Uh, you know, it feels like all the pieces are coming together for Ohio State to try to make its own national championship run in 2024. On the other hand, it feels like Michigan is going to have a lot of work to do to stay where it's been the last few years. And that starts with the fact that Michigan is going to have a new head coach because Jim Harbaugh uh, last Wednesday night announced or the Chargers announced that he would be their new head coach. And unsurprisingly, Michigan quickly moved to replace him by promoting Sharon Moore to head coach, which I think we would both agree was the right move for Michigan. I think it was the obvious move. He did a great job last year when he was the acting head coach, including leading Michigan to a win over Ohio State in the game. I mean, you don't know. If, if Ohio State wins that game, Michigan might have a different head coach right now. Sharon Moore might not be the new head coach of Michigan. Maybe Jim Harbaugh's still there because he didn't win a national championship and he feels like he has unfinished business. But Jim Harbaugh, coming off of winning a national championship, obviously felt like he had accomplished what he set out to do at Michigan. Also, maybe looking at the looming specter of potential NCAA violations, and you combine those two things together, and Jim Harbaugh probably felt like it was the perfect time for him to move on and go back to the NFL, where he has had success before. He, you know, he led uh, the San Francisco 49ers to an NFC championship, and so he's a very qualified NFL coach. I think the Chargers were a very logical fit for him in terms of he had played for the Chargers before. You know, he inherits a really good quarterback and Justin Herbert. I think a lot of stars aligned there for this to be the right time for Jim Harbaugh to go back to the NFL. But now for Michigan, it's like you just won the national title, but all of a sudden it, it feels like, you know, you know, that could have been a jumping off point to, to just start a dynasty or whatever you want to call it. And now it feels like they are going to be fighting uphill just to stay where they got because of the fact that you've got a first time head coach coming in and not just that, but you know, not official as of time we're recording, but Jesse Minner, the defensive coordinator is likely leaving to be uh, the Los Angeles chargers defensive coordinator. Jay Harbaugh, the special teams coordinator, is likely following his dad to Los Angeles. Ben Herbert, 
strength and conditioning director at Michigan is also likely going to Los Angeles. So a lot of key staffers to replace. And then you couple that with the fact that 17 of Michigan's 22 primary starters from last season are now in the 2024 NFL draft class. And so the team that takes the field for Michigan in 2024 is going to look a lot different than the team that just won the national championship three weeks ago. And they're going to have to do it against a pretty brutal schedule there, Dan. I mean, you look at it, you got Texas, USC, Washington, Oregon, and Ohio State. I mean, those are five games that I don't imagine they'll be favored in any of them if this team looks the way we expect it to look. Um, I think that, you know, it's obviously a period of transition for Michigan. We'll see how heavy, if at all, they're hit by the NCAA sanctions. Um, who's to predict what the NCAA does in any of these circumstances? It's, you might as well try to forecast the weather without any knowledge of that. You know, it, it, it's very hard uh, to, to predict what the NCAA is going to do. But even without that, you know, you're looking at replacing all of that talent, building a new coaching staff. I mean, even Sharon's going to have to replace himself as, as offensive coordinator. Um, and you're losing the probably the defensive coordinator, probably special teams, probably strength and conditioning, as you just said. Um, it's going to be a rebuilding year for Michigan, I think. Um, and I think a lot of even Michigan fans would acknowledge that, but it's worth it when you win a national title. I mean, I, I think uh, a fan base would be willing to go 0-12 the next year if it meant winning a national title. So um, that's they got the ring. Uh, now it's all going to be rebuilt. Uh, there is a big phase of transition i um you know i'm i'm expecting more of like a seven and five maybe they pull an upset get to eight and four next year um and i don't forecast them making the first 12 team college football playoff i'm not sure where you stand dan maybe you expect a little more out of the wolverines after all this turnover yeah you're going a little bit stronger on the downturn than i am i mean i, I think if i was to set if I was an odds maker, if I was to set the over under on wins for Michigan for next year, I would put it at nine and a half because like you said, there's five really tough games on that schedule. I don't quite agree, but I, I think all five of those teams would be favored against Michigan right now. I mean, you talk about turnover. Washington's got a lot of turnover right now too. Fair. USC fair. has got a lot to prove after a very disappointing season. And so I would probably look at Michigan being favored right now, at least in my eyes, against USC and Washington. I don't think they would be favored against Texas, Oregon, or Ohio State. And so if if you're putting, you know, gun to my head, what would I predict right now? I'd probably say nine and three for Michigan. I, I I'm in that nine to three, ten to two range. Um and that might be enough to get him a college ball playoff. It's hard to say because this is gonna be the first year of a twelve team playoff. But the one thing I, I, I'm very curious about when we look ahead to the playoff for this year is how much weight will the committee put on the strength of the Big Ten and the SEC versus just overall records? Because we can call it a power four, but to some degree, it's almost a power two now. Because if you just look at the teams that are expected to be competing for the championship in 2024, the vast majority of them are in the Big Ten and the SEC. I mean, honestly, I don't think there's anyone in the Big 12 that I'd look at and go, they're a real championship contender. ACC, you maybe have one team in Florida State. I mean, maybe Clemson. So the the power of it is now concentrated in those two conferences means, you know, I think 10 and 2 is going to get you into the playoff as a Big Ten team. 
nine and three is definitely not guaranteed, but it might. So I think, you know, it, it, it's, I think there's definitely still a path to the college football playoff for Michigan, but it's not going to be easy to get there by any means. Now, when I say that, I still think if if you're Ohio State, you've still got to look at Michigan as the number one team to beat this season, the number one threat on your schedule. Because, I mean, if, if you just talk on paper, on paper, Ohio State had a better roster than Michigan the last three years, too. And Michigan won all three of those games. So you can't assume even with all of these departures that all of a sudden it's going to be easy to beat Michigan again. It's not. But, you know, I do think that you you look at the way the rosters are built right now, and there's a reason why Ohio State, at least on FanDuel, opened as a a three-and-a-half-point favorite over Michigan and has now jumped up to six-and-a-half over the last few weeks. Because Ohio State's roster over the last few weeks has measurably gotten better with adding guys like Caleb Downs and Quinshawn Judkins, whereas Michigan's hasn't. I mean, they Michigan lost the vast majority of guys it was expected to lose to the NFL draft. There's a few guys, you know, who could have gone or coming back, like Rod Moore, Donovan Edwards, Makari Page. But by and large, Michigan lost the vast majority of guys it was expected to lose to the NFL draft, and it now has major staff changes and so you know as good as Michigan has been the last few years like I'm not gonna sit here and say I think they go seven and five next year I'm more in the nine and free range but I I do think that they have their work cut out for them with a really tough schedule this year I think that's fair too you know with the turnover you mentioned at Washington obviously you know Pennix gone and DeBoer gone and what all they're gonna have to replace um so maybe nine and three is more in the forecast, though. I, I really think that there is going to be hangover. And whenever you're implementing two new coordinators and um, it, there's it's 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 hard to get that scheme in there and, and get it settled within a year, even on one side of the ball, forget both sides. So completely new staff, I, I think, um, like obviously outside more. That's a lot of what's driving this for me. And like Michigan recruiting has been kind of so-so. Um, they're all the seniors they're losing from that roster. Um, and guys running out of COVID years now. I mean, the, the, the senior class this season, the true senior class, no longer has a COVID waiver. So you're starting to filter those guys out of programs. And I think Michigan being able to keep a lot of people around for that extra COVID year has driven some of that success. So I, I think that's another kind of thing to watch just across college football this year with the COVID waivers, kind of how that changes roster construction the next two seasons as the last bit of those guys phase out. I mean, there will still be some guys next year um, that are playing on a COVID waiver, but that means you were a true freshman in 2020 and you redshirted. So you're starting to really get down to you know the last still few from 20. They're still from 2019 too. There's still 2019. Yeah, 2019. You could be a six sixth year if, like you said in in 2020, you actually wouldn't have had to redshirt in 2020 because you have guys like Leif and Ransom and Cody Simon at Ohio State. Who, well, I mean in 20. Well, I was talking about 2025. Is I like. Yeah, that year you'd need to be. Um, but 
obviously, uh, like to go back to your point, you know, this doesn't guarantee a win at all. Not just because, like, you know, this is a team that was un, you know, probably not as talented as you on paper the last three years and beat you all three years. It's just the nature of this rivalry. I mean, it's it's rare that there are blowouts in this game. It's rare that it's easy for one team. Even when you have a dominant stretch like Ohio State did under Urban Meyer, there were a lot of close games that Ohio State and Michigan played in those years. I don't I don't know if people forgot, you know, that Ohio State was one interception on the two-point conversion away from losing to Michigan in 2013, the double overtime game obviously. I mean, you, there were a lot of battles played. Uh, in those urban years, in even in the Trestle years, you know, the, the dominant stretch Ohio State played in this rivalry. Plenty of those games were really tight. And uh, even when there's a talent discrepancy, it's just the nature of a rivalry this heated. Um, and just the stakes on that game for Ohio State this year. I mean, if you lose a fourth time in a row and then you don't follow it up with something big afterward like a national championship big um it's really going to be hot seat time for ryan day because uh, especially with all the talent you brought in it feels like this is a an absolute must win michigan game for him and we've talked that, about that before but i i think the roster additions they've made over the last few weeks really amplify that really um put that game up there as something that you know people are going to judge whether day can even do it at ohio state if he can win it this year uh, with the roster upheaval with what you're adding uh through the transfer portal and uh through the you know th through everything you know um through recruiting is what the word i was looking for there and um, retention of your seniors and retention of your seniors yes there you go that, that's the those are the big pieces but speaking of transfers, Dan, we got to talk to five of them this uh, this Tuesday here uh, as we're recording this. You know, we're kind of fresh off of those press conferences and there was plenty to take away. Um, all five players seem very excited to be at Ohio State. Uh, we didn't talk to Julian Sayan, who is, uh, you know, still considered an incoming freshman despite getting him in the transfer portal from Alabama. He's in that 2023 class. So our 2024 class. So um what were your top takeaways uh, from talking to these guys, Dan? And, uh, you know, I guess what what can Ohio State fans get really excited about with uh, with this group? Well, I think my top takeaway was that Caleb Down said he got 102 phone calls in a span <laughs> of seven to eight hours. And I was just thinking about how much I would hate my life if I had 102. I mean, it, I mean, it's probably a good feeling to know that like every college in the country wants you. But I also think at some point I would be like, all right, I'm 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 turning my phone off or I'm at least silencing the ringer or something because at, at, at some point, like, especially a, a guy like him who I think went into the portal knowing he was probably going to transfer to Georgia or Ohio State. And to his credit, he said that he responded to most of those calls, um, which, you know, I don't know if I would have done if I was in a situation <laughs> because the vast majority of those teams, he knew there was zero chance he was going to go there. But, you know, he said that he did respond to about 80 of those calls, which uh, I think speaks to, you know, certainly uh, the kind of person that he wants to be, which is somebody who is uh, very respectful and uh, who, you know, uh, respects, you know, the fact that 
you know, those coaches took their time to show their interest in him. And so, you know, he certainly wanted to, uh, you know, be, be polite and respectful of that. But, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, Caleb Downs becoming a Buckeye, you know, it really came down to Ohio state and Georgia. And, you know, he, he acknowledged on Tuesday that there was some back and forth there leading up to his decision that, uh, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't really get into any specifics of talking about Georgia, but he did acknowledge that there was some back and forth leading up to that decision. But ultimately he decided that Ohio state was the best place for him. Uh, I just love the program here. I love coach Walton and love what the people had to say around here. Um, I believe in coach today and I believe in this team. Caleb Downs uh, certainly seems very excited to be a Buckeye. He had a lot of good things to say about Ryan Day, about Tim Walton, about Matt Guerrero, about Jim Knowles. And, you know, he was also asked about how good he thinks Ohio State's defense can be. He was asked if he thinks Ohio State would have the best defense in the country. I expect us to be one of the best. I expect us to excel and be better than they were last year. Um, I expect us to be elite. Ohio State certainly views Caleb Downs as the final piece it needed to have that elite defense in 2024. He didn't. He didn't want to say that when he was he was asked that. But certainly, he and Ohio State are both aligned in what the expectations are with him coming to Ohio State, and that alignment is to have the best defense in the country and to win a national championship. Well, yeah, I don't know how much if you're, if you're going to be better than last year's defense, you, you talk about the number two scoring number three total defense in the country. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how else you get better other than be number one. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, it's safe to say that, you know, he expects that out of this defense and, you know, you, you talk about him being obviously excited to be here, excited to be a part of this thing. And I, I think the most excited of anyone that at least I stood in on today uh, that I heard was Will Howard. And just he went through a lot at Kansas State that if, you know, I I wrote a story about it uh, on 11 Warriors. But uh, if, you know, if those for those who haven't heard, Will went through a lot, uh, you know, at Kansas State during his time there. I mean, he was as a freshman. He was the backup to Skylar Thompson, really didn't expect to play, and that was in 2020, the COVID year. He, uh, Skylar Thompson suffers a season-ending injury. He's thrust into that starting position, throws more interceptions than touchdowns, and uh, was really maligned for a couple of seasons there in Manhattan, Kansas, because of how he played, uh, how, how poorly he played in relief of Skylar Thompson in those days. And then, you know, two years later, he's a junior. Skylar Thompson's gone. He's expecting to be the starter. Kansas State goes out and gets Adrian Martinez in the transfer portal from Nebraska and brings him in to start instead. Adrian ends up getting injured. Will again is thrust into this position that he wasn't expecting to be in because Kansas State wanted to redshirt him that year uh, and ends up playing phenomenally this time. Goes out leads uh, Kansas State to a massive victory over Oklahoma State, gets carried off the field um, by his teammates. Adrian Martinez comes back and is still the starter over him, gets hurt again. Will goes out, leads them to their first Big 12 title in 10 years. Uh, And then after all of that, finally actually has a hold of the starting position as a senior, uh, goes out and has a good enough season that now he's at Ohio State. But he talked... It was really impressive to hear him talk about those experiences and saying that 
you know, his quote was, it made him really hard to break. It really hardened him, toughened him up. Um, And when you're playing at a program with the expectations, with the pressures of Ohio State, what being a quarterback at Ohio State means, I think that's really valuable experience to have, um, to not be not be willing to bend in those moments where the pressure is at its highest. Um, He also talked about, I think one thing that was really important for him was the scheme fit. A lot of the offenses recruiting him were air raid style, were very pass heavy. And he, obviously that's good for a quarterback who wants to put up those big numbers through the air. But he said that he wanted Ohio State's offense because it's such a pro-style offense. He feels that it's going to be a really NFL-like offense, and after his commitment, the addition of Bill O'Brien increased that factor in his mind, um, that it's going to get him ready for that next level. And that was one of the things that really appealed to him about Ohio State. A lot has been made of his ability as a runner. He said today that you know he didn't mind being in a scheme that was quarterback run heavy like Kansas State's, that he still feels the need to run when he needs to. He's willing to run the ball uh, if it's what's going to help move Ohio State down the field this season. But he also, by the same token, said he's excited to show off what he believes his biggest strengths as a player are, and that's as a pocket passer. The things that Coach Day does in his offense and that Coach O'Brien does, um, I feel like really fit my my type of build, my type of player. Um, you know, where I was coming from at K-State, it was a very run-heavy offense, especially quarterback run-heavy, um, which I was very happy to do and didn't mind doing at all. I, I'm excited here to where I feel like it's more of a, you know, where I, I can be that pocket passer and, and also use my legs when I need to. Um, but, you know, I feel like my strength is in my arm. Um, but I also feel like I can I can do really good things with my legs. And obviously, being a quarterback, you need to, you need to make those plays when, when, when you need them kind of, I think, ready to have some of the rushing weight lifted off of his shoulders this year. And I don't think he's going to need to play too big a role uh, when you have Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins in the backfield with you. Although it is still nice to throw linebackers a curveball, confuse the eyes a little bit, throw in a quarterback run every now and then. But he's I think he's going to be doing, he expects to do it less here, it seems like, and he's excited to do it a little less and really focus on showcasing his abilities in the pocket. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a lot of, you know, comparisons that have made where, you know, Will Howard, could he be a JT Barrett for this Ohio State offense? And I would be surprised if we see Will Howard run the ball that much. I I just don't think that's in Ryan Day's MO. I don't think it's in Bill O'Brien's MO either. And so I I think, you know, this is still going to be a pro-style offense. The quarterback's job is still going to be to pass the ball first. I think he will present more of a running threat than either C.J. Stroud or Colin McCord did. And I think, I do think that, you know, Ryan Day needs to adapt based on some of the failings of recent years and integrate that a little bit more into the offense than he has the last few years. And I think he has a quarterback in Will Howard who's going to give him the capability to do that. And so he should do that. But I don't think we're going to see Will Howard running the ball 15 times a game. Like I was, I was asked an interesting question on the, a weekly chat I do on 11warriors.com this week about it was basically asked me to rank the, the rushing yardage for Travion Henderson, Quinshawn Judkins, Dallin Hayden, and Will Howard this year. And 
I went Travion Henderson one, Quinchon Judkins two. That one was close. But then I, I also really debated Dallin Hayden and Will Howard because I'm like, I don't know how much Dallin Hayden's going to play this year if Travion Henderson and Quinchon Judkins stay healthy. But I also don't know how much Will Howard's going to run the ball. Like, if he does end up running the ball regularly, then I would probably pick Will Howard to have more rushing yards than Dallin Hayden. But I ultimately still sided with Dallin Hayden because one, it's a long season and Ohio State probably going to need more than two running backs in a season where it could play as many as 16 or 17 games. And I still don't think they're going to want to run Will Howard that much. And I also think truthfully, some of that is going to depend on which and how many quarterbacks are still on the roster when the season actually starts. Because, I mean, if you have five quarterbacks in a room like you do right now, you might be more comfortable letting Will Howard run all the time. Because if he gets hurt, well, at least you've got four other guys waiting in wings. If you lose a couple of those guys, then maybe you become more hesitant to have Will Howard running more than he needs to. Because if he gets hurt, you know, maybe your next man up's a freshman. Who knows? So I think there's a lot of factors that are going to go into that. But, you know, to your point as well, I, I, I would also suspect that part of the conversation between Will Howard and Ryan Day when he was being recruited here was you are going to have the opportunity to air it out more here. You're not going to be asked to run the ball as much here as you were. I mean, I remember there being talk about that with CJ Stroud, but that was part of a conversation when he was recruited, that he wasn't being recruited to run the ball all the time. And so there's a balance there too, in that, you know, a lot of quarterbacks, you know, Will Howard talked about it on Tuesday about how he thought about entering the NFL draft, but the feedback he got was basically that he was between a third or a sixth round pick and that he needed more high level film as a passer if he was going to be an early round NFL draft choice. And so Will Howard is coming to Ohio State because he thinks Ohio State's offense is going to put him in a position to show more of that, to do the things that he believes he's capable of as a passer. You know, some of that's schematics, some of that's the wide receivers he's going to be throwing to. He seemed very impressed by Jeremiah Smith when he was asked about him, and certainly having guys like Emeka Buka and Carnell Tate and Brandon Innes. Uh, it's going to be by far the most talented receiving core that Will Howard has ever had in his co- collegiate career. And that's going to be a significant boost for him in terms of his ability to showcase his arm talent. And then, you know, he, he said it, you know, he said it in his first interview with Pete Thamel of ESPN when he committed to Ohio State. He's coming to Ohio State because he wants to win a national championship. The biggest thing was I felt like I could come compete here to win a national championship. And that above anything else was one of the most important things. Like I, I felt like I just had more I wanted to accomplish in college and I wasn't done yet. Um, and that was, I think, what really drew me here. Obviously, you know, getting to the next level and, and you know, playing in an offense like this, I think is really going to prepare me for that next level and give me the best shot. And that's all just really sugar on the, on the cake, you know, for me. Well, all this quarterback talk, Dan, we need to move on to a position that's really important, really vital. I know everyone cares more about than any other position, and that is center. And today... We also got to talk with Ohio State's new addition at that position, probably, uh, Seth McLaughlin, who, uh, you know, I I think 
a lot of fans, when they first saw the addition, maybe questioned it because of his uh, snapping issues against Michigan in that college football playoff semifinal that Alabama and Michigan played against each other. And and he got a lot of uh, opportunity to address that today. You know, there were a lot of questions from the media gathered there about those snapping issues. Um, and, you know, he, he said that he never had issues with it before the Rose Bowl. And I believe, you know, he talked about playing center since the age of seven. And that's, a, frankly, a really early age to start at the position uh, when you talk about, like, uh, a lot of guys that are top college offensive linemen end up being top college offensive linemen play tackle all their career. Um, you know, we are even a different position than that in youth football. Um, he played tackle in high school, but all his life, really, he's been a center. And when he was playing, even when he was playing tackle in high school, kind of had that knowledge that he was going to play on the interior. So, um, at the next level, I, I think that snapping is something that's always come natural to him. And it's like, you know, it, it happens all the time in sports where someone who is normally a guarantee at something just has an off day. And uh, I think it happened at about the worst time possible uh, when you talk about being on a stage that big uh, and in such a close game. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that will be easily addressed by him in the off season. Um, for me, I think it's underrated how much of an upgrade it will be for the entire offensive line to have an experienced, steady hand with the football knowledge that Seth brings. Uh, you had a redshirt freshman playing that position last year, Carson Hinsman, guy who really didn't have the, you know, didn't have the full, I think, appreciation. And it's it's almost impossible to have in your first year starting, especially as just a second year player, a full appreciation of all that's required of a center at a big time college program um, between not only the already like difficult component that it takes to throw a ball between your legs and then go block somebody who weighs 300 pounds, but also calling out protections at the line, setting blocking schemes, communicating with the quarterback, being a leader up front. These are all things that Ohio State is getting in Seth McLaughlin. And I, I think his football IQ is readily apparent talking to him. I mean, he talks about how identifying defensive fronts and setting pass productions has almost become instinctual to him uh, because his favorite part about football is the tactics, the strategy, the nuts and bolts of the game. And it's one of the reasons he loves playing center so much. He, he I think he'll, he'll be a big film room guy um, and, and really help some of the protection issues that Ohio State had. Um, and, he, and he's a phenomenal pass blocker in his own right. So I, I think that um, this is an underrated pickup for Ohio State. Um, and the snapping issues should be something that's rectified because, like he said, not necessarily been a problem for him in the past, uh, but something that, um, you know, it, it, it's second nature to him and, and getting back in that consistency, just practicing and uh, getting, logging, you know, thousands of more snaps this offseason. You, you hope it's not something that pops up again this year. Yeah, if you think back to, you know, the years when, you know, Urban Meyer was the coach and some of the best offensive lines that Ohio State had in recent memory, you, you think of guys like Pat Elfline and Billy Price, who they had experience playing guard before they moved over to play that center spot. And I think 
you know, that was something that was very much a premium for Ohio State in, in past years was trying to have an experienced guy playing that center position. And I think not having that this past season with, you know, a guy who literally had not played a snap as a Buckeye, Carson Hinsman, before making his first start, I, I think that was certainly something that uh, hurt the offensive line as a whole, just having someone at such a pivotal spot on the offensive line, really learning the ropes of how to play at the collegiate level as they went. And so I think, you know, like you said, I think that is the biggest thing that, you know, Seth McLaughlin can really bring to this offensive line is the fact that he has, you know, three years of substantial playing experience at Alabama. You know, he, you know, he's obviously already played at a very high level. And so I, I think those are certainly things that can help an offensive line that certainly needs to turn around this year. You know, the snapping thing, it, it, like you said, it happened at the worst possible time. And so that's going to be a concern that people have going into this season, but it's not necessarily something that was always an issue for him throughout his time at Alabama. And so it's just something that he needs to work on. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't downplay it when he was talking about it during interviews on Tuesday, you know, he, he, he said, it's like a point guard in basketball. If you don't make your free throws, then you're going to let the team down. And that was kind of how he viewed it in terms of being the snapper. And so uh, you know, I think, you know, it's certainly something that's going to be a major priority for Ohio State. And, and he feels like Justin Fry can help get him uh, to where he needs to be uh, in, in terms of snapping the ball. Though he did say that, you know, if, if he was asked to play guard, he would be willing to do that. Um, but I, my expectation is that he will be the starting center. I think they wanted to bring in someone to handle that role. Over than Carson Hinsman this year because of some of the issues that Carson Hinsman had in his first year on the job. And so my expectation is that he will be the starting center for Ohio State. Uh, circle back for, to Caleb Downs for a moment. I should note, too, that you know he was asked what position he thought he would play in Ohio State's defense this year. And he said that he thinks he will play that adjuster role as the free safety in the defense. Uh, he said he has had some conversations with the coaches about potentially returning punts as well, but uh, he does not know yet whether that will actually happen. So uh, to be determined on that, I mean, Ohio State hasn't even named its new special teams coordinator for 2024 yet. So uh, that's likely still to be determined, but it does sound like something that he wants to do if Ohio State will give him the opportunity to do it. And, you know, based on the punt return touchdown he had as a freshman, I would certainly think that Ohio State should strongly consider the possibility of using him in that punt returner role. You know, Brandon Innes could be another option there. You know, Mecca Buka's obviously done it a lot, but certainly think Caleb Downs is going to be in the conversation for that punt returner role, and uh, there would be good reason to to do so based on what we have seen from him in the past. Another guy that we certainly expect to make a big impact for Ohio State this year through the transfer portal is Quinshawn Judkins, who we mentioned before, transferred to Ohio State literally seconds after Michigan won the national championship. And you know, he he was an interesting guy to hear from because I think we've all kind of been interested in his thought process in terms of, you know, this is a guy who was one of the best running backs in college football for the past two years. He's a two-time all SEC running back. 
he could have gone to a lot of different schools and been the guy at running back, the clear RB1. But he chose to come to Ohio State where he's going to split carries with Travion Henderson. And so, you know, I did ask him, you know, was that a factor in your decision? Is that something that appealed to you, the idea of splitting carries with Travion and, you know, maybe taking a little tread off your tires to, you know, preserve yourself for your future in the NFL? And, you know, he said it is something that he, you know, is certainly aware of as, as a factor um, that, you know, it, it can be important for a running back to, you know, not take too many hits during their college careers, but it doesn't really sound like that was why he came to Ohio state, you know, much like with, with Will Howard, it seems like the big reason why he chose to come to Ohio state is because he wants to compete for a national championship and he wants to be part of an elite offense. And he thinks he has a chance to be a part of both of those things at Ohio state. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, having the weapons that he'll have um, at the receiver positions uh, around him, the new quarterback run threat, I think helps open things up as, you know, I pointed out earlier and being in tandem with Travion there, there's, there's a lot to like about Quinshawn Judkins in this offense, having that one, two punch at running back. I think, you know, as college football has progressed over the years has really become necessary. Um, and, and you look at Travion's in, injury history. I think it's, it's really good to have that complimentary piece. Um, whether that's in case he gets hurt, hurt again, or, um, just to prevent that, you know, um, less wear on the tires for both guys helps keep the room healthier, fresher overall. And, um, you know, I, I think it's good to hear too from all these guys that, you know, they're coming here with the winning mentality in mind, uh, wanting to win national championships, achieve some of those goals that, you know, Ohio state has fell fallen short of, uh, in the past few seasons. Uh, you know, one last guy that we got to talk to for the first time today, uh, an, an underrated addition for Ohio State again, uh, that, you know, I, I think they kind of needed a tight end with his skill set, and that's Will Kasmerich. We, we talked about it before. They don't really have that pure blocker that can come in and just be a really good support, a piece in the running game. Um, and, you know, he'll, Will can catch passes too, obviously, but uh, I think that, you know, for a guy that's not only that, but also an Ohio guy, played at Ohio University, and it's a dream come true, he said today, to play for Ohio State. Um, and he, you know, he chose for, you know, he chose to come to Ohio State, again, for those reasons, you know, compete at the highest level, uh, win national, try and win national championships. You know, I, I think that it was funny to, to have him out there at the same time as Will Howard and Quinshawn because there, there wasn't a whole lot of media that was at, that were at his table, obviously, but I think that gave you some great uh, one, almost one-on-one -on -one time with him to ask a, a whole run of questions that uh, I'm sure people appreciate. And he, um, you know, I, I think, again, Will is a really underrated part of this transfer portal class. Um, when you look at the other flashier additions, this is a piece that I think Ohio State really kind of needed for the depth purposes, the blocking purposes at that tight end position, um, and and a, a chess piece that people won't notice, but that will be really valuable to the offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I think certainly you look at this past season, you know, even with the impact Cade Stover made in a passing game, that blocking 
we, we focus so much on the offensive line, but I think blocking at the tight end position was a weakness for Ohio State this past season as well. I think Stover had his ups and downs in that regard. G. Scott Jr. had his ups and downs in that regard, but they, they couldn't consistently rely on their tight ends to provide the help to the offensive line in the blocking game that Ohio State desperately needed last year. And so I think to bring in a guy like Will Kasmarek, who graded out very positively as a blocker at OU, is uh, going to give him a chance to play a lot right away. And I, I think... Uh, I think he is being slept on a little bit in terms of, you know, what he can potentially bring to Ohio State. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of excitement and rightfully so for Jelani Thurman and his upside that he has at Ohio State. But he also played pretty sparingly last year as a freshman and Ohio State has typically leaned on upperclassmen at that position. And so, you know, I, you know, I think Jelani Thurman has a chance if he has a big offseason to earn a big role in the offense in 2024. You know, G. Scott Jr., played a lot this past season, so he certainly has a chance to play a big role for the Buckeyes in 2024 as well. But I think that, you know, Will Kasmarek is probably going to be the best blocker of that group right away. And because of that, I won't be surprised if he ends up playing a lot this upcoming season for the Buckeyes. Right. I uh, did want to clarify, too, when I said Ohio guy, I meant just that he played at Ohio University. He's from St. Louis. Uh, that's where he played high school ball. Um, but kind of now now that we've gone through all this positive news, Dan, all this, you know, uh, these good things that are happening for Ohio State with all of these transfer additions, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, now we can kind of dive into the basketball discussion. That is, you know, the, the big sport that is being played right now. Um, I, I think the results the last few weeks have driven some fan apathy, um, and, and rightfully so. You know, we referenced it earlier. Um, just been a downright miserable January again for Ohio State basketball fans. You know, last January was was certainly no uh, no beautiful month for Ohio State, but uh, this 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 one as well has been another slog, another struggle, um, and it, it's. We've talked about many times there's still a path out of this downward spiral for Ohio State, but I mean, what faith can you have that they'll actually find that path and win the games they need to win, several of which will be on the road where they've lost 14 games in a row now, um, to get to the NCAA tournament and sort of, you know, salvage this season and probably Chris Holtman's tenure at Ohio State too, um, you know, w with all that's being said and done, uh, not just outside the program, but within it now. Yeah, I mean, it feels like deja vu all over again, right, Andy, where, you know, I mean, this isn't, I mean, it's not even just the second time we've seen this from Ohio State where, you know, Ohio State's gotten into January and then it's hit a big slump. I think it's happened in four of Chris Holtman's seven years on the job. And so, uh, you know, it's it's something that's been a problematic pattern for Chris Holtman's teams at Ohio State. And I think, you know, realistically, when we talk about Chris Holtman's future at Ohio State, I think Ohio State needs to make the NCAA tournament for Chris Holtman to keep his job because missing the NCAA tournament two years in a row shouldn't be acceptable at Ohio State, especially when you, you look at seven years as Chris Holtman as head coach and 
there's not really any major accomplishment of real significance that Chris Holtman can point to. I mean, you think back to Thad Mata and all that he accomplished at Ohio State. He was fired after missing the NCAA tournament in back-to-back years. And so I, I think the justifications for keeping Chris Holtman beyond this season at this point, I don't think that there's a lot of them if Ohio State fails to make the NCAA tournament. You think back to last year. It was the first time Ohio State missed the NCAA tournament. They had a lot of freshmen playing a lot of minutes a year ago. And so there was a definite path you could see of bringing these guys back. This team should be better next year. You added in a top 10 incoming recruiting class. There were a lot of legitimate reasons for optimism that Ohio State was going to be better this year than it was last year. But as of now, that doesn't seem to be materializing because what's happened in January is very similar to what happened last year. Yeah, they started out with you know, just some close, tough, competitive losses, and you could say, okay, they're, they're not that far off. But then to see what happened on Saturday at Northwestern when Ohio State gets run out of a gym, loses by 25 in a game it could have lost by 35. You see that, and it's like, okay, things really seem to be snowballing in the wrong direction now. And and Ohio State's running out of opportunities to to get it back on track. Ohio State has 10 regular season games remaining. Ohio State probably needs to win seven of them to enter the Big Ten tournament with a real chance to make the NCAA tournament. And that's not going to be an easy task. I mean, first and foremost, Ohio State is going to have to figure out to win on the road because it's going to have to win several games on the road here in February to have a real shot to make a tournament. And then, you know, it obviously is going to have to win the games that it, it at least has a chance to win at home. But if Ohio State can't do that, I, I think it's going to be very difficult to justify keeping Chris Holtman beyond this year. And, you know, some might point to the $14 million buyout that Ohio State would have to pay him, but Ross Bjork is going to be involved in this decision. And Ross Bjork just fired Jimbo Fisher with $75 million left on his contract at Texas A&M. And so I really don't think a $14 million buyout at the school that just brought in the most revenue of any college athletic department in the country is going to stop Ross Bjork from you know, ma- making that move. Yeah, basketball is not football, but nevertheless, you're talking about the second most prominent sport in the athletic department that is bringing in the most money in the country. You know, you, you look back at the contract extension two years ago, and that is not aging well. But regardless of that, I, I think it is reaching the point where you know, Chris Holtman has a ton to prove here in February and March. And if he can't get this thing turned around, Ohio State is probably going to have to make a change. Right. You know, and, and again, you brought up Thad Mata. The accomplishments that Thad Mata had to, you know, really the last few years of his tenure were similar to how the last few years have gone for Chris Holtman. And you talk about looking at, you know, again, missing the tournament back to back times was enough to have Thad go after multiple Final Four appearances. And this is a guy, Chris Holtman hasn't, multiple Big Ten titles too. Chris Holtman hasn't been to a Sweet 16. Um, his best year 
at Ohio State were making the second round of the NCAA tournament with you know a middling Big Ten finish. He hasn't had the results anywhere else in his tenure to justify keeping him if you know this is what year seven and year six look like. You can have a down year as a coach, but back to back down years when you returned so much, when you added what you you know, when you got Jameis in battle in the transfer portal and, you know, you thought Dale Bonner was going to be more than he's been, but he, you know, really, especially the last few weeks, hasn't been contributing at the level that I think was expected of him. I think a lot of players right now aren't where um, you want them to be at for Ohio State, but it's also just like persistent issues, closing games, persistent issues, you know, getting the wins you need and you, I think a great point was made to me today. You, you stack up Northwestern and Nebraska's rosters. You know, the two road losses Ohio State had last, you know, this past weekend, not past weekend, but you know, the two most recent road losses Ohio State had, both very decisive fashions. Um, you, Ohio State has eight or nine guys that would be, from a recruiting perspective, the most talented person, most talented player on either of those rosters. And they weren't competitive in either of those games down the stretch, weren't competitive at all against Northwestern. It's just this, the results are simply inexcusable right now. Um, when you have the resources at your disposal that you have at Ohio State, Chris Holtman's a really good human. I, I enjoy working with him. I uh, haven't enjoyed it as much the last few weeks because every single story I write is a hundred comments calling for his head and saying, what's the point? I don't care. They're like, fine. <laughs> you know, I, and I, I love, don't get me wrong. I love our readers. Um, very thankful for everyone who reads my stories and takes the time to comment. Even if you're bashing me, uh, it's fine. I, I just, uh, you know, it, it, I like, I have more fun, Dan, when, you know, I, I'm covering, a team that people are excited about. And um, yeah, I, I think there's just, they, what, what reason has Ohio State given anyone to be excited uh, th this month? It, it's been pretty brutal. And uh, I, I think that, you know, going back to the path for a second, you need seven wins, like you said, in the regular season to have the realistic shot, unless you, you know, obviously have a miracle run and win the Big Ten tournament. Out of the 10 games they have left to get those seven wins, one is at a top 15 team in Wisconsin. Another is against one of, if not the best teams of the country in Purdue. So out of those other eight games, you're going to have to win like three or four more on the road. And, you know, at Iowa this weekend is one of the more winnable games left that Ohio State has. Um, and it, it's that game now feels like it's really the last gasp. If you can't go on the road and get it done at Iowa, now all of a sudden you have to win all seven games that aren't at Wisconsin or Purdue. And, um, you know, I, I know a lot of people have already written off this season. That's, that's for me when it's time to officially kind of start thinking about who Ohio State's next head coach will be because you know it's one thing to prognosticate and say these things I think it's another thing when an athletic director's candor changes about a coach and um, I think we saw that happen here recently Dan and I'll let you you know kind of dive into that a little bit here yeah I mean Gene Smith told the Columbus Dispatch over a weekend quote 
we have a lot of this season left to play and we have coaches and players that are focused on winning every day. I'm looking forward to seeing how this turns out. I know some people saw that comment and were like, come on, Gene, fire him now. You know, there's a lot of, you know, people who just want it to be over. I mean, that, that was never realistic. I mean, firing Chris Holtman right now is not going to change anything. Uh, certainly, you know, you, you gave Chris Holtman another year. You, you, you showed belief in him to get it right this year. You, you've got to give him the rest of the season to let it play out. But, you know, you, a lot of times with comments like this from an athletic director, you, you have to read between the lines rather than just taking the comments at face value. And I read between those lines and, and, and I see that as he better start winning or we're going to have to make a change. I mean, I said the same thing when Ross Bjork met with the media at Ohio State a couple weeks ago, and he said, he's a great guy. He seems like he's doing a great job, but, you know, he just had a bad loss at Michigan. You got to see if he gets this thing turned around. You know, I, I think if, if, the, if Ohio State can't make a big turnaround down the stretch, I, I do believe there's going to be alignment within the athletic department that, hey, this just isn't working. It's been seven years. The results just aren't there. You know, like you said, I, I think very highly of Chris Holtman as a person. I think he has done some good things at Ohio State. But at the end of the day, it, it comes down to results. And the results have to be there. And we could argue about what the standard should be for Ohio State basketball. I mean, it's not the same as college, college football in terms of Ohio State football. We're not expecting Ohio State to make the Final Four every year. But you know, Ohio State hasn't made the second weekend of the tournament in a decade now. Like that's not acceptable. Like with all the resources Ohio State has, o o Ohio State should not go a full decade without making it past the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. And so hard conversations need to be had right now. And it, it 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 just it's just a fact of the matter that you know Chris Holtman has to turn this thing around here in a very short amount of time with a very difficult path, or Ohio State is probably going to have a new head basketball coach next year. And you know, to your point about the lack of excitement around this team right now, I think that's a big part of it too. I mean, you start talking about the money element of this. I mean. Ohio State men's basketball attendance has been significantly down this year from what its recent averages are at the Schottenstein Center. And that's because people just aren't getting excited about this team anymore. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure if we looked at the metrics from this episode, you'll probably see people stop watching after we stop talking about football. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, and, 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 and football is always going to be king at Ohio State. It's always going to be the sport that has the most interest. But you know, I can think back to like, I remember when I was a freshman at Ohio State back in 2012 and Ohio State went to the final four that year. That was back when they had, you know, Jared Sullinger, Aaron Kraft, Deshaun Thomas, David Lighty, the likes of that. Like basketball was a big deal. Like, I mean, now that was also the same year that Luke Fickle was the interim coach and football went six and seven. So basketball almost felt like a bigger deal than football that year, which my first year at Ohio State, you know, then you know, you, you really, and after a while, like that, that faded off and football became really big and football was clearly king again. But like, there was a time, like not that long ago where like 
basketball felt like a really big deal at Ohio State. You know, certainly if a Greg Oden, Mike Conley year was like that. And then, you know, the height of, a, you know, Jared Sullinger, Aaron Kraft years were like that. And that's just kind of gradually faded away more and more by the year. The longer this program has gone without actually really achieving anything of significance. And certainly I think for Ross Bjork, one of his priorities should be how do we bring that back? How do we get people really excited about Ohio State men's basketball again? And Mm -hmm. that starts with winning. That starts with results. That starts with contending for Big Ten titles and being a player in the NCAA tournament. And the reality is, as in year seven, Chris Holtman has not been able to do that. And there's going to need to be a big turnaround in February and March for Ohio State to be able to do that this year. And so, you know, that's why we're having this conversation about, <laughs> you know, the potential end of the Chris Holtman era at Ohio State, because we've just seen this same story play out too many times and you can insist that the team still believes you can insist that things are going to get better but at some time at some point it it just has to actually happen and right now we are not seeing it actually happen from this team yeah you know it it starts to fall on deaf ears deaf ears especially from a uh you know fan perspective i I don't think yeah it's look Again, all the respect for Chris as a person, he obviously knows more about basketball than I do. Knows more than the, same, yeah. Knows more than probably you know than probably all of Ohio State's fan base. But there comes a point there are too. Some where, smart fans out there. I'll give. I'll, there are some I mean, smart fans. Yeah, yeah, there are some smart fans. I well, I won't say all. I'll say ninety nine percent. Um, there are some really smart fans out there, and I think there are a lot of criticisms to lobby at Chris's teams. Obviously. Um, my point is, though, I think that it's it's tough when you can write the first quote of a Chris Holtman press conference after a loss before he even says it. Give credit to team. You know, I, I think, again, I, I'm not I don't want to knock a guy for a pattern of speech, but at the same time, I, I there has to be a little more self-awareness shown of just how dire Chris's situation is. I, that's one of the things I want to see from him. I asked him on Monday if he feels any added pressure right now, kind of from a job perspective, because of, you know, and you have to be delicate when asking these kinds of things, but the results, he'll readily admit, not up to the standard they should be. And he didn't seem to have any added urgency in his response and you know again it's what i expect from him because that's how he is he stays pretty level says a lot of the same things in these situations addressing these types of questions but you know at some point you have to realize your back is against the wall here i think the most telling part of the gene quote for me isn't like you said obviously reading between the lines it's clear to see you need to get results is is the subtext of that quote but it's also the switch from quotes gene has given about holtman in the past like last year it was all he's our guy that's our coach he's leading the program forward you know it was emphatic 
and he rated him excellent in his performance review this offseason. People saw that and made fun of it, obviously, because they lost 14 of 15 games at one point. But, um, you know, a lot of the excellent rating was Chris's recruiting, what he's done with the athletes off the court, et cetera, so forth. Gene admires that stuff about Chris, but, it, you know, eventually you have to achieve the on-court results, like you said. And he just hasn't. He hasn't, and he has one last shot to do so here. So I'm looking for more urgency out of this team, but I'll believe it when I see it. You know, it just like there's there's enough of a track record here to say that, you know, you don't have confidence that they're going to pull out of this and that Chris is ultimately going to, you know, save his job. Um, I, I firmly believe he's coaching for his job right now. I know you firmly believe that. I think most of the fan base believes he should be. I think there are certain there's a large segment of the fan base that believes whatever happens the rest of the year, he should be gone anyway. But, um, you know, barring like a national title run or something or a final four run or something, you know, but like, I, I think that it's, it's a dire circumstances right now for Ohio state basketball. And I, I, you know, there, there's, it's going to be a really tough road back for this team. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to write about it if, uh, if they do end up, you know, I, I love it when sports teams beat the odds. My favorite part about sports, I'd love to write about it if they do turn things around, but uh, that's not what I'm forecasting to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be an interesting time to cover things if the move is ultimately made from Chris Holtman. That it certainly will, and we will cover it one way or the other. You know, hopefully they'll give us something a little more positive to talk about. But if not, then you know we'll we'll, we'll see how things ultimately play out in the future. So uh, we hope that you will continue to tune in to Real Pod Wednesdays, whether you're watching us or just listening to us. We certainly hope that uh, you will continue to tune in every week as we will have lots more Ohio State sports talk to come all off season and next week got national signing day coming up for the football team not expecting a whole lot of signings but uh, could be an opportunity for us to uh, talk to uh, some more uh, Ohio State football uh, representatives whether it be coaches players whatnot so we are looking forward to that as we continue to cover the football off season uh, men's and women's basketball I know Andy's going to be doing some wrestling coverage for us as well so uh, always stay tuned with everything we are doing at 11warriors.com and on the 11warriors YouTube channel. And we'll talk to you again next week.